You're tuned in to RX Radio. Movement prescribed. Brought to you by Prescript.com. A personalized approach to keeping you healthy and making your best even better. Your hosts, Dr. Jordan Shallow and Dr. Jordan Jinta. probably say 10%, 90% solving problems over a phone call or an email. But like, you don't have, like your bottleneck would be scalable interaction with human beings. Our bottleneck is being able to handle problems in a way that you're paying attention to the customer and understanding a very complex problem. Whereas some people might have a $10 product, our product can result in a million dollar loss yeah. for somebody if we f- don't do it properly. So for us, it's like, can you pay attention? And the bottleneck would be enough people that understand the product, paying attention to it properly, which I guess is applicable to any business because if you can understand the problem and pay attention very specifically to fixing it, it's providing a solution, your value is 100x at that point. But that's something that's like, you can't program a computer to do that, right? Like, that's no. got to be human. No, you can't program a computer to do it. Not not yet. The intricacies of, of the world that my business operates in are a little bit more human-oriented than, let's say, just like a software sales or something. Do you prefer that? I do. I mean, I, I grew up in it. I, I'm sure at some point the stratification of the industry is going to change. So my skills might have to adapt or my skills will be adapted to a different business. But I feel like, like, have you looked at the, the projections of artificial intelligence and how many unskilled labor, like how many drivers will be out of a job and transportation is one of the biggest industries in the United States. Like how many unskilled laborers will be out of work when, when Elon gets that fucking semi truck up and rolling. Or like yeah. when Uber figures out the fucking automated driving cab system. Like how many of those people are out you get. Right. I think we're in a weird time. Like technology at this point is this like smoldering catalyst. And there's so many industries that are about to be completely uprooted. And, you know, the real estate business, which I'm in, there's a, there's going to be segments of it that are going to be uprooted and changed. Yeah. I, I firmly believe over the next 50 years, the business that I'm in is going to change dramatically like so many others but don't you think that'll just provide more value for what you do because it's like i don't like i always make the top gun reference because gold ray-bans right obviously right. you would make the maverick reference wherever you can but it's like a fighter pilot becomes that much more valuable when every other problem solved with drones because every now and then someone's got to fucking pull a trigger right and that should always be like they're talking about in, in medicine now systematizing diagnostic criteria in a scalable means in which a computer can do a better job than a physician. Sure, but you know who's got way more valuable? The surgeon. Because right. you're not the, the intuition. Like it's kind of like you ever see iRobot where it's like the calculated decision where the, they let the robot lets the girl die because of whatever the fuck. It's like mm-hmm. there's a certain intangible there's an intangible value to like being good at human interaction, which the more technology permeates whatever industry you're in, whether it's a fitness industry, whether it's mm. the real estate industry, whether it's, you know, medicine or whatever, 
that driving of a wedge, that technological wedge, only makes you more valuable at the end of the day. Right, unless your industry is completely supplanted by the use of technology, in which case you have to reinvent yourself. Uber is a magnificent example. Their platform is going to enable drivers all over the world to succeed over the next X number of years as drivers are still needed. And it's interesting because I I watch the business world very closely and I'm really interested in companies like Tesla. Tesla has this beautiful product and they are dumping money into it. And I I firmly believe that that product, whether it's Tesla that owns it in five years or it becomes IP of Apple or Google or Facebook or some, some tech company potentially. I mean, there's always talks of them being bought up, right? I think that that is the future, right? Because the whole value proposition of Uber is taking unused labor assets in the workforce and putting them to work. If you have downtime and you want to make money, drive for Uber or deliver groceries for shipped or deliver food for Uber Eats, right? There's, There's systems and businesses in place that are taking unused resources in the economy, putting them to work. There's more value being created. Now, if you go back and look at the actual platform, if you go look at Uber and you look at Tesla, neither company has a sustained track record of making any money. They're not profitable businesses. I can't delve into why that is, but you could look at the basics of just dumping more money into the product than it makes. Yeah. But I think the underlying principles of both are going to manifest somewhere over the next decade, two decades, three decades, and we're going to see a radical shift in the way those businesses operate or self-driving operates but yeah do you feel like their their ability to turn a profit will be purely based off their ability to get rid of the human element like right now it's yeah they're they're doing somewhat of a service to an economy in in an otherwise underserviced population of people who are unemployed or need a, a, a secondary means or tertiary means of income but they're kind of setting them up to just like they're helping build their own demise in a certain way where it's like Uber is reliant on Uber drivers and, you know, whether it's by choice or whatever disenfranchisement throughout the system mm-hmm. or socioeconomic class, whatever you want to call it, at a certain point, Uber's going to ask those motherfuckers to wipe their chin and walk away. Because then they'll be like, oh, hey, we got to <laughs> fucking, we, we just outrigged this this Camry that can that can make you obsolete now. Thanks very much for your service. Yeah. Here's zero severance. Here's zero anything that any other company would have to provide you. Like biggest publishing pu- publication company in the world right now is Facebook. It has zero hired editors in house. Right, biggest yeah. hotel chain in the world is fucking Airbnb. Airbnb. They don't have a single fucking Maria going around cleaning rooms. Right. And so what they're going to do is it's it's almost planned obsolescence, but it's not like your iPhone 10 is now obsolete because the iPhone 11, it's a human being, is now obsolete. And now that's where they're going to be scalable and profitable. So here's the thing. I don't know if planned obsolescence even comes into the equation for them because they are all doing every tech platform that we see today that we call successful, whether that's Instagram, Airbnb, Uber, you could probably plug in a number of other companies, is they're all basically doing the same thing. They're taking underutilized workers or underutilized content, underutilized writers, whether you're writing for Facebook or you're publishing a photo on Instagram, and they're putting it to work. Now, how are they putting it to work? I mean, Facebook, Instagram's case, they're just monetizing ads because there's eyeballs on it, right? So if you go back to Uber, whether they're planning on drivers being in or out of the picture in the next 50 years... I don't know. 
I'm assuming that they are, but you also have to pair that with technology that matches up and doesn't catch on fire and run into a fucking school bus full of kids, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I say I see the way that the world is changing now in a lot of very interesting ways. If you just look at it from a social and business perspective, I mean, there's so much changing. And fitness, where you and I have connected, is one of the most interesting because it's so mainstream now. And I, I have kind of like a foot in, foot out look into the world, even though I've been involved with fitness for so long. It's, you know, I think it's going to evolve in a very similar way with its own idiosyncrasies toward the industry, like like people like you are doing. And that's where I see the technological wedge gaining more value, right? Like in the you know, the conversation of fitness wearables or like, you know, biometrics and tracking. It's like I was just in, uh, I mean, I'm not going to name the team, but I was in the like NFL team's training room mm. and I was, I was brought in to be a maverick where in a room full of fucking drones and a room full of force decks and force plates and, and all these biometrics, it's like there's got to be a quality assurance. There's got to be a trained eye there that you can't really replicate. So it's like, that was where I initially started to extrapolate some of these theories and outside of me, because I don't fucking know anything about business. I'm not a big business guy. That's just, I'm not, <laughs> you know, Marcus is the big business guy. But I, like, I know I've gone deep enough in my field where I can apply concepts laterally. It's like, okay, I look at a force plate and go, yeah, that's great. I don't care. Because I'm looking at a guy who's fucking 6'8", 321 to 4540 going, he's going to blow to fucking ACL if he keeps redlining his engine like that. Where they put him on a fucking, they put him on a isol, uh, isolated half knee pull, and his force output was through the roof, and they go, "Oh yeah, high five, yeah, fucking strength and conditioning, woo, hoorah!" And I'm like, "You guys are idiots." So, let's say you walk into that situation, and yeah. like I know you well enough now, I can kind of see your approach to fitness. Like, what do you do when you see this NFL team training their athletes that way? What's the first thing that you see that you can say, hey, I can optimize this or maybe we should think about approaching this in a different way? See, it's, it's a good question, but it's, it's, it's the approach. It's the intangible and that's the wedge. And it's like you can, that's the tool in which you bridge the gap between in which, or between where you are, where you are as maybe a professional on one side and where technology is in making other people who are undertrained or underskilled perform the job of the drone as the fucking fighter jet pilot mm. the biggest trick is not in in the objectivity of an assessment it's the overcoming of personalities it's it's like okay if my goal at the end of the day and i see this a lot like it's weird like i just think laterally a lot i see this a lot with relationships i know guys who like get mad or have spoken with girls who like you know, a girl like won't text him back, and he like texts her to get mad, like and gets mad at her. Right. Like, dude, if you're Put, if you're the fire, but yeah, like if you if you're goal oriented, you need to Im implement a strategy that achieves the final outcome, right? So if I'm trying to like you know get with some chick and she doesn't text me back, I'm like, oh, what the fuck? It's like you just immediately you forgot about the goal, man. Like the goal, like she will never come back for that. Yeah, you, she doesn't text you screwed me back. The pooch there. You screwed the pooch, right? <laughs> Or it's the same thing with like if I come over the top, like I know mm -hmm. what I like. I walk into a fucking you know a, like a multi-million dollar facility, and there's an established strength coach in the league, and I'm some punk ass kid, and I need to exact change. I my it's tact, it's interpersonal relationships, it's 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 getting them to buy me first, and then before I talk about what I'm looking at, what I'm seeing, and what they're missing, right? Because like. Um, 
I'm not big into obviously big into business books, but one I have read is uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, mm-hmm. and one of his um, one of his points is about criticism. Like, don't criticize people. Like, just don't do it. Like, they're never they're gonna stick to their guns, and like even if like oh like we want to we want feedback and that, and I think it takes as a general rule. I think that's true. Like, I think if you have close friends who you know are out for your best interest there's a there's a receptivity to that level of criticism but i think for the most part in that situation if i were to come over the top and be like all right so here's what you're doing wrong all right listen here <laughs> yeah. see and just like lay down like you know you guys are you guys have a couple hundred million dollars in assets in in players a year and i'm going to come in and say you're fucking this guy up you're fucking this guy up, you're doing yeah wrongs. but beyond doing that taking that untactful approach yeah. i think that in in any business setting, how do you take the intangible, bring it to the edge of tangibility, yeah. and apply it? Because I know how you operate, and you're like you—you you can explain things to the nines, right? Yeah. Your your mind is in a place that most people's isn't. How do you take that? Walk into a room, whether you're there as a professional treating an NFL team, or you walk into our gym, or you walk into a gym in London. Yeah. How do you walk in, take the intangible, turn it into a tangible product for people to understand and optimize their own training? Yeah. I, I think you just lay it out in front of them. You, you lay it, you show where their tools are, are, are missing. Because I think right now it's they, it's you versus the machine. Like I almost look at it like a Rocky versus Ivan Drago kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? They're in the lab, they got all the nice stuff, and I walk in, I got a fucking log on my back going, all right, here's why this works, right? And it's like, because it's intent driven. And for my particular case, it's like you can't measure intent with a computer. You can measure output with a computer. And I think in, in that particular instance, it's about measuring, or it's about quantifying or qualifying intent. So be like, here, you guys are looking here. You need to look here. This is your blind spot. Right? Mm. And it's showing what the manifestation of like they're, where they're looking and how that is 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 unfolding in real time and where i'm looking mm-hmm. and getting them to understand the fundamentals of what i'm seeing it's education at the end of the day like that's how you empower people regardless whether it's a f- the fucking uber driver who's out of a job or whether it's the strength coach who's you know who's leans on biometrics too much i just need to educate him just and that's his only way forward which is hard when we talk about the grand scheme of things and outside of you know petty fucking nfl players and shit and to like global geopolitics and trends and market <laughs> fluctuations and shit it's like i think this is the education piece right like because i think we've we've gone so far astray when in the fitness industry especially in in dumbing things down i think we've set we've done things down and we never asked people to smarten up like this spoon fed three quick easy tips for whatever the fuck is like it's in a lot of ways, it's good for me because there is now an emerging market for education. That's mm-hmm. largely my main, that's my main source of income now is going around teaching. And with that comes empowerment. So I think in a situation like that, it's, it's teaching people, right? Like in your industry, it has to be similar. It's like you need to educate people on how you're different. I think a lot of the value prop that we put out to our clients is face-to-face. So we can explain our value to them in their office face to face put a face to the to the business to the email to to whatever it is and i think that's very applicable to every industry but i think sitting down and you're not selling you're just saying let me get to know what your problems are and i'm going to listen to you and i'm not going to sell you that's it yeah 
the sale will come afterward or it's not going to come at all if they're not the right fit for you. But I firmly believe in every time you have the opportunity to gain a client in your business or to make a sale in your business or you know, if you're educating somebody, the first step, and I'm sure we're on the same page about this, is listening. Shut the fuck up. Sit there. Listen to the person. Because their words will tell you more than anything that is rolling around in your dumb monkey brain could ever. You know, the, the, the critical point in which you, you can connect with a person is listening and understanding. In like a super honest, non-agenda-driven uh, way. Even if you are there as the president of a company to sell a business or you're there as an educator to sell them on a strength course. The first step in trust, building trust with the client or building trust with a friend or building trust with a lover, is listening. Shutting up and listening. And it's, it's a, it's a, we live in a world where we're just bombarded now. We're, you know, and I'm no different. You know, I just have to take a step back and realize and we're addicted to the smartphones and checking our emails and talking to somebody on the phone and Instagramming and DMing and commenting and looking at petty going-ons every day and... It's a very fast world. You know, I mean, I'm not here to criticize the greater culture as it is. I mean, I'm a participant in it like you are, but the reality is you've got to take a step back a lot and gain some perspective on things. And I think that's very difficult to do. And it's very difficult for me to do. And it's something you've got to constantly kind of work on and get better at. I like that you differentiated listening and understanding because I think that's 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 two it's a two-way street in a lot of ways where there's a there's a fundamental difference between listening and understanding like mm. as someone who is an educator i under like and i got this i'm not a huge fan of the book but there's some principles in extreme ownership but mm. by jocko where it's jocko, like yeah. if people are listening and they're not understanding that's my problem right that's my problem in the way i'm delivering it like if i'm talking over their head or a lot of cases i'm talking too fast when I ask a question at the end and there wasn't an understanding, I know everyone was listening, but there's not an understanding. Um, but twofold, I think there's a benefit in knowing when you don't understand. Like when you can listen to someone and you can't understand, like, and you can tell them that. Like I think empathy is something, or sympathy and empathy are, are two things that are altogether lost because people don't give a shit about other people in general. Right. But understanding that there's power, just in my world, the power of saying, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know is a really powerful thing to say in a situation when you're listening and understanding because right. you're trying to synthesize the information that you're receiving. And if you can't comprehend what someone's telling you, if you can't understand what someone's telling you and you can verbalize that back to them, mm. that that's comforting to them because they know at a point where you do understand and you offer intel like intelligence or you offer feedback that that is almost instantly verified by the points in which you said, I don't know. Because if you have no one has an answer for everything, and if someone does, I'd be worried about all. The, yeah, I'd be worried about all their <laughs> answers, right? Where yeah. if someone knows the the jurisdiction of of their their specialty, they can, and they're on the fringe of that when when they're attempting to understand something, you can be like, I don't know, because there's there's nothing better. Like, if, say you're in a rough spot, and like we're jumping around between like psychology and work and fitness and whatever, but I the, I think the skill sets are transferable. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, if someone's in a really rough situation. Like I haven't been, I haven't, I haven't, fuck, dude, I have the easiest life ever. I've never been posed with like a huge challenge in my eyes compared to the challenges and struggles I see other people go through. There's something comforting in saying that must be really hard to go through. So I, I think over the last two years, uh, life kind of hit me like a brick 
in a number of ways. Didn't like ruin my life at all, but I didn't realize the amount of stress I was under starting a business, being in a long-term relationship. My girlfriend was taking the bar. These things impose stress on life, on your life, and stress is an aggregate. If you're training, I'm in the gym training four or five days a week under very heavy loads, running a business, which is stressful in and of itself. Maintaining a healthy relationship is another fucking added, not stress in a bad way, but it's just, it's a commitment. You have to work on it. You can't just, you can't just say, ah, I'm not going to deal with that this week because things start to fall apart. And if you value that and you care about the person, you love them. The adage about it being work, it's true. You know, it's, it's cliched, but the work comes in different ways. I think the work in a relationship, and you can apply this to your friendships, interpersonal relationships, your parents, has a lot to do with setting boundaries, listening, and understanding. And empathy is a tricky one because I think delving too deep into trying to fix problems or, or, or going down the rabbit hole of like trying to like help the other person too much is very, very easy in some relationships. I don't know about everybody, but you know I've experienced it before. But I think taking a step back and saying to this person or saying to yourself... Man, I cannot imagine what that feels like. I don't have a fucking clue. Yeah. The truth is you don't. I mean, uh, there's the situations I've been in recently where, you know, people I care about have lost a loved one. I cannot imagine what that feels like. And you can't say anything else except just be there for that person. <laughs> I think that's a very difficult thing to muster up because you have to be fucking honest and lay yourself out there and say man i have no idea what that feels like i'm so sorry and that's it i mean there's 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 not a lot you can do in that situation except you know be there be present listen understand you're talking about listening and understanding that's a fucking moment where you have to be the sponge and be very cerebral about what's going on because I mean, you're just like a s- empathetic sponge at that point. And uh, like, just as you made a distinction between listening and understanding, you use the words "be there" and "be present." I think those in itself are almost analogous differences based off two things that, on the outward, are, are extremely similar. It's like mm-hmm. listening and understanding. A lot of people conflate. I think being there and being present are two totally different things. Because the word "present," I think, in itself is is different than just being physically there like being there for someone is you know showing up at the hospital but being present is something different like you could be staring at the ceiling and saying fuck all yeah which is difficult because i think there's there's a and i think technology is to blame as another wedge there's the technology drives a wedge in people's ability from being there and being present like for the fuck, dude. Like, and I'm as guilty as this as any. And often, when I lift my head from my phone and look around and go, look at everyone on their phone. That's like, I guarantee you, there was a point in which they were looking up from the gram and looking over at me, and I was on mm-hmm. my phone. And it's hard to it's hard to check yourself, man. It's hard to it's hard to recalibrate. But I think it's situations like that where you're where you know when you're a, a loved one or a, someone you love loses someone close to them, where it's like you realize real quickly like perspective. And like shit that doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Doesn't matter. So much shit yeah. does not matter. And I know you and I talked about this a few days ago, but I've recently had this thought rolling around in my head about opinions <laughs> <laughs> and how accessible other people's lives are, facilitating these quick, instantaneous opinions and having 
thoughts about other people's lives and thinking that we can sit there and make a judgment call. We don't know shit. And I know this is another one of those cliched moments, but I mean, I think that today it's even more, it should be more resident than ever. And not, not again, I'm not going against the social, societal norm as it sits. You know, social media is here to stay. I'm not arguing against that. Just having perspective and sitting there being in a judgmental mindset, it's a very fine line you have to tread because, you know, people make snap judgments all the time. That saying, don't be judgmental, fuck that. That's bullshit. The human mind, the way that we have evolved, our defense mechanisms are built on snap judgments. You see a predator or an enemy from a thousand yards away, you better be able to identify that person. And that is the, that is the same brain that we live with. Now we apply it to social media and the world and the social circle that we live in. How easy is it to form an opinion that is completely unjustifiable? How hard is it to say no comment? I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't have an opinion on that. It's not necessarily the, the cool thing to say, but I think if you sit back and you're like, man, like, I have an opinion on that person? I don't know them. And we're looking at social media. Let's get back to powerlifting, man. That guy squats eye, oh, a piece of shit. And like, you know, like, no. Like, I don't think people have the right to have as many opinions as they do. And not saying to limit freedom of speech, but it's this is like a personal thing. Because you kind of lose perspective of, of who they are as a human being. You just don't know that answer. You don't know who they are as a human I, I being. I think it just comes down to like... People, yeah, like you said, like freedom of speech, freedom of speech is a right, but you have a responsibility as a fucking human in this society to keep your fucking mouth shut sometimes, right? And I think because we're, and this is like a narrative that's being perpetuated now on the internet and almost like a counterculture to political correctness where it's like people now hopefully abdicating their rights in force of responsibility, right? And it's like a lot of people who are exercising their right to freak to speak freely on and opinions about people, it's like you're not exercising any form of responsibility at all. And that supersedes, it should supersede your right to freedom of speech is your responsibility to the words that come out of your mouth. Well, I think you're held responsible in a different way. You're not held responsible by the government, but especially in the country that we live in, your responsibilities in your social circle now. Yeah. And in the financial outcomes of your life and your business outcomes of your life and whether your relationship successful, because those things will be affected at some point. I think it's all it's all tied in. It's it's a very tight knit feedback loop. Well, I think you made a good point when you talked about like relationships being work, and like you talked about like whether it's interpersonal or whether it's uh, you know someone you're involved with or whether it's work. It's like I think there's an idea now that with technology, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to just let things. People don't understand that the world is inherently entropic in nature where if you if you aren't stoking the fire mm -hmm. it's not maintaining it's going out that tide is running away from you this is an uphill fucking swim this is an against current swim and if you stop it's a, it's a sisyphus thing from a philosophy standpoint it's like if he takes a break on the side of the hill and pushing the stone the stone's gonna roll downhill and, it's and that stone you. could be a, yeah and it's gonna fucking crush you and, it's, and that's everything it's relationships and it's this narrative of like you know, people just don't want to necessarily work, but it's like if you don't, if you stop, you don't stay in the same place. Everything keeps moving, and it's like it's hard to look at something like a relationship and think 
that oh it takes work oh it shouldn't be work it's like no no man like everything is entropic because you know why we're all going to die right we are and that all is. going to die <laughs> and in the face of death nothing matters <laughs> nothing yeah. almost nothing except you look back and I've, i have a lot of older family members that i've been very close to over my whole life and the one thing whether they are millionaires or not you know whether they've traveled the world and had planes and boats and all of it kind of pales in comparison to the fact that they've had a really meaningful marriage or grandkids you know my family is kind of built around that we're a big jewish italian family and i've been traveling with them and cooking with them my whole life and you can see the difference in kind of the wolf pack mentality of some families versus this very connected tight-knit family of others and I can see the difference because it really brings people closer together and there's a big richness to that life because you're building memories with somebody and you're because you're building this kind of long-lasting memory bank with a group of people that share similar interests to you. And now, I'm very lucky. I mean, I'm very fortunate to have that. And they even support the, the things I do athletically, which they might not understand. They see you know, barbell on my back and they don't really understand what I'm doing. <laughs> Oy they. Hey, Marcus, it's too much weight. When are you going to stop? I swear to God, my grandmother, every time I see her, she's like, how much weight are you lifting nowadays? And I'm like, uh, I mean, you know, I do a lot of different lifts. I, 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 you know, she doesn't understand exactly what it is, and I'm sure a lot of people get this from their family. And I'm like, I can deadlift 830 pounds. And she's like, oh, my God, that's too much. I thought you were going to stop at 800. And I'm just like... <laughs> Uh, oh my god i don't have an answer because it's just like i you know the, the drive to keep going same way i wake up every day and i'm like how am i going to grow my business today how am i going to keep things successful and keep everybody happy i walk into i'm walking into the gym with that same mentality for the last 12 years straight and never taking a break from it is there a focal point like i mean with training you've been training longer than you've owned a business but now with i mean you're obviously in a position where you own your own business and and there's a, there's a passion for what you do. There's a passion for the process of, mm. you know, uh, being an entrepreneur and being self-employed. And, and that idea, like, it's entropic, right? Like, if you, fuck, dude, if you don't answer your emails in your business, mm. that it's not like, you know, your clients and your customers are going to be like, that, that stagnation is okay. It's like, that's bad. That's not good. We're not keeping up face. Just yeah. like if you, if you take a week off training that barbell is going to kick it to you straight. Where do you now find, or is it numerous sources? Like, is it training that drives the ship? Is it training that's instilled the values? Is it, it like how much of what you derive from like your output or your outlook comes from the barbell? I would say it's been the single biggest source of number one strength, number two stability, number three inspiration, and number three, the kind of learning of what it, what, what, what does work ethic mean? I applied it first in the gym. I started lifting when I was like 15 years old. Uh, I didn't know why. I was like kind of an overweight. Maybe I was like 5'11", 6 foot. I was chubby. I had long red hair. Dude, we would have been best friends. Oh not that we're not now, but I'm just oh, saying, yeah. that's literally me. <laughs> that's me. I'll find the pitch. That'll be like the logo. That'll be the, 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 oh the show God. note. It's just like me and you at 16. Remind me, I actually have a fucking great photo oh, of Jesus. me. It is so embarrassing, but I'll ask my sister. She'll send it to me because yeah. I think she's got it like saved on her she fucking like, yeah, favorite When, when you call her, that's what shows up. <laughs> oh, you want the photo? <laughs> oh, please don't send it again. 
No, I mean back then it was like, man, I'm I'm anxious. I'm I go through bouts of depression. I didn't feel like I fit in socially at all, you know. And so my my dad went to a gym in the city I grew up in, North Florida, Tallahassee. And I just started going. And then as soon as I had a car, a year later, you know, I was already going at 15 pretty much every day. But then when I was 16, I had a car. And I just started going. And I would, like, read bodybuilding magazines. And I would, you know, you know, muscle and fitness or flex or, you know, go to bodybuilding.com. And back then, the training on bodybuilding.com was a little bit different. You had some pretty badass dudes writing for them. And I would just I would pick something up. And I trained hypertrophy for probably eight years straight five six days a week back then non-stop and when i did when i was in that setting it was there were some big old bodybuilders in that gym and i don't know how i became friends with them or why they gave a shit about me but they like taught me how to lift they taught me how to use my body they taught me how to do a side lateral raise they taught me how to do a bench press the first time i squatted was like 18 years old and I was like, asked this dude was like a legit 250-pound, six-foot-tall bodybuilder. He taught me how to squat. I didn't know shit about squatting. Learned how to deadlift. But I did it really slowly. There was no social media back then. There was nobody telling you like, ooh, look at my 13 tricks on how to build a summer body. It was like, here's a hypertrophy plan. Eat as much as you can eat. Lift as much as you can lift. I mean, I had, you know, I just put as much weight as I could on the bar and just didn't hurt myself ever. I didn't do anything to compromise the integrity of, like, skeletal structure, the muscular structure back then. I just did bodybuilding movements. And the hypertrophy stuff, I still credit to this day. And if I talk to a younger lifter, I tell them, do that for as long as you can without getting bored or getting the itch to, like, max out your squat, bench, and deadlift if we're talking about powerlifting. Because I think, to, to me... That is the single biggest foundational, like, godsend I could have asked for starting powerlifting at 25. Because I had this awareness of my body. So for about eight years, I learned how to be, you know, not a bodybuilder, but I trained like one. And I kind of just kept growing. And then when I was 23, I picked up Olympic weightlifting. And that was interesting because I think it taught me how to control my body and have body awareness in a way that I wouldn't have had if I had never picked up an uh, Olympic barbell snatch and clean and jerk. It's really cool because now I can, I can still do the movements, but I think I can sit in this gym, I can go through a squat, I can go through a deadlift, and I have a better awareness of how my body's functioning that day because I know how to move it in different planes of motion and things of that nature, so... I really, you know, I, I I try to make a point of telling people this, not because I think it's the right or wrong way to train, but because I can say personally, I find a lot of value in learning how to use your body. And this is why I like what you do so much, Jordan. You teach people how to use their body properly. Now, whether my way I did it works, it's worked for me, or it doesn't work, that's up to the individual. But I, I truly believe that the way that I trained taught me a lot i think there's something to be said about you know stepping outside your comfort zone right how many people are willing to go from hypertrophy based isolation style bodybuilding training with the most dynamic component of their training session being a squat bench or a deadlift but likely higher volume with hypertrophy focus and giving that up for like a greater goal or just 
being a student of the process itself and moving to Olympic weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Like that's really difficult. And like just kind of extrapolating out lessons from the gym and like applying it to other places in your life. It's like just because, and, and this is where a lot of people fall short, especially when they specialize in powerlifting is like, or in life in general, this idea of stagnation is that they just, they think what got them a certain place is what gets them, will get them to where they need to be. It's like, no, no, no. Think of an individual, whether it's business or whether it's someone you admire and the way they manage interpersonal relationships. It's like, think of the process. Think of the habits that person has now. You literally need to become the habits and, and, and practices and process of someone who you aspire to be, right? So your ability to go from Olympic or bodybuilding style, Olympic weightlifting, then to powerlifting is that just shows me someone who's fluid. That shows me someone who's, who's, who's after the end goal, right? Like, you know, hey, man, she didn't text me back. Yo, what the fuck? Like, uh, you, you, like, stood me up. It's like, dude, if the end goal is to get that chick to like you, she's never going to fucking like you. Yeah, no mm. problem. Yeah. Well, you know, whenever you're not busy, just shoot me a text kind of thing, right? Yeah, where it's, it's like set it and forget it type mentality. Yeah, and just where it's like that just shows me that that's, that's really understanding what it means to do what it takes, right? I never thought about it that way. The way I saw things was like I have this imp- this this drive. It is an imperative. It is an intrinsic goal of mine to to do this. And I I went into Olympic weightlifting with no number goals. I went into training like a bodybuilder for for no physique goals. And you know, I've always had a little bit of belly fat. You know, I'm not the type of dude that walks around with a six pack. Maybe maybe not until I just reach 300 pounds, but. <laughs> For one day, but I was uh, there. I saw it. It was fucking majestic. <laughs> I think. I think the truth is that going into it with no, you know, before again, like in powerlifting, I think you have to have a little bit more of a concrete goal as to where you're trying to go and why you're trying to do it. But to go back to where we were before, you asked me a question, and you asked if the same it was like the same motivation yeah. drove me in the gym. If I could apply that to my business, and I don't see them as any different. I see the this my focus on athletic training is the same type of focus you have to have on the business what happens when you slow down what happens when you you, you're not adding clients to your business anymore what happens when you're not growing you can't do the same things you did for the first two years of your business or three years of your business and the same goes for your training you can't expect to come in here for five years and do the exact same thing and achieve the rate of success that's optimal not to say that that won't work because a lot of people it will work for, but I think being very present, being very cerebral, being very understanding of what's going on in your life, constantly adapting, constantly optimizing, and constantly changing to adapt to the same broader goal. So when I when I started powerlifting, I didn't I didn't have any goals. I didn't decide I wanted to weigh 290 pounds. I didn't decide that I wanted to squat whatever, bench whatever, deadlift whatever. I just literally just kept doing the same thing you come in it's not sexy it's not glamorous and there's a big there's a big cognitive dissonance that i see that really frustrates the shit out of me with a lot of people and a social media i think is a very accessible means of comparing yourself so i see a lot of younger lifters come in even in our gym and they're so focused on numbers they're so focused on squatting 600 pounds they're focused on squatting 500 pounds or benching 400 pounds. And there's some freaks out there that just fucking do it. And they get to it. They just the, That is their body. They are going to do that. They're going to deadlift 800 pounds. But I see a lot more people 
that don't have an awareness of their body, that don't understand how to move their body in planes of motion that are optimal. They don't understand what it feels like to execute a proper squat. And I didn't learn that from a book, and nobody taught me that. I just, you know, a lot of people just figure it out on their own, and I'm one of those people that figured it out on their own. I mean, I didn't have anybody to, to show me. This wasn't, this wasn't like a thing, you know, 10 years ago when I was lifting. So I'm really fortunate to be surrounded by the world-level people that I'm surrounded by now. I mean, my friends Hayden, Steph, you, all the people that I train with. I get to meet so many cool people that I'm still learning new methods of training, new methods of recovery, new methods of nutrition. I had no idea this stuff existed before, and it's, it's amazing because now I can really start to fine-tune things and fine-tune you know, blood work and things of that nature. Do you think you can teach passion for the process and because here's the thing it's like i mean we, we're both we both read a lot outside of our domains of expertise right like you read a lot and it, it often finds ourselves in similar categories of reading and philosophy reading and history and things like that because mm. these are just every i mean there's nothing new under the sun right so if you can kind of learn from those that come before you and just like adapt different ideas and put them laterally into into your domain of expertise but it's like do you think that in this space or like in general that you can teach that like can you teach the kid who's coming in to lift for the gram who doesn't get that hey man the reason you're pulling fucking eight you're gonna squat over eight is because you showed up on days where you didn't want to you showed up on days where you didn't post you showed up on days where you didn't feel like it yeah it's like do you think you can teach that or do you think that there's some people that just are meant to i talked about an analogy the other day between like pigeons and eagles where it's like, do you think we need pigeons? Like, do you think that some people like, because I, I draw like you a lot of like, a lot of strength, a lot of introspection from, a lot of stability from training. And I don't mean that in a physiological sports science way. I mean yeah. that from very an much intrinsic like a, way. An intrinsic way. Do you think that some of those people like, you you can lead a horse to water, but there's just no, because it is passion driven. I think at at its core is it like, and that's something that's. It's almost like a, a language that's it's like a dead language almost these days. Um, I have a couple thoughts. So the first is I, I think that there's a huge number of people interested, which is amazing. I love seeing people that are into fitness, which is why I've really shied away from criticizing different domains of being fit, whether that's powerlifting, whether that's CrossFit, whether that's Olympic weightlifting, whether you're a bodybuilder or you go to Barry's boot camp, you know, or you go to F40, you know, whatever it is, the world that we're living in now is going toward being more in shape. It's going toward more health. I think it's simultaneously being overloaded with stimulus, overloaded with stress and overloaded with obligations for a lot of people. So let's keep that in mind. Go back to the original question. Can you teach the passion? I think people are trying to buy the passion or they're trying to buy the perception that they're invested in the passion. <laughs> I, I, I read a great quote. I don't know if it was doing like a Q&A, but uh, Sebastian Orr, the Australian yeah. strength coach, posted one day and it, like, it stuck in my head because I loved it. He said, you know, I'm not here to motivate you. You either want it or you don't. Something I'm paraphrasing, something like that, right? But it was like, you know, two sentences, wow. 
you know, that's a zinger. And it really resonated because I, I've, and I'm not involved in the same world that you are, you know, you know, I'm so lucky to be your friend outside of, you know, you traveling and, and, and all this stuff, but you get to see the seminars and you get to see all of these people flocking to the fitness world. And I have a very, you know, I could be wrong about this, but my perception of a lot of the buy-in monetarily is you're trying to invest or show the perception of investment in the pursuit or the passion. You can't buy that. You can't go to a seminar and say, I'm a powerlifter or an athlete or a business person. Because I see this in the business world too. We switch back to my domain. Do you know how many unbelievable advertisements I see for entrepreneur seminars? And by the way, I don't call myself an entrepreneur. I say that I own a business because I don't think I've invented something new yet or introduced something new to the market. I just say I, I love the process of owning my own business and running a business and conducting business. Everybody in the business world is trying to sell a course on entrepreneurship. A lot of people in the fitness world are doing the same thing. And now there's a lot of people that are starting to bring some real value, like what you're doing with fitness trainers as a strength educator. I think there's a big difference between those two things. But I don't think that you can walk into a Olympic weightlifting seminar and walk out and own that passion just because you paid $500 to learn how to snatch and clean and jerk. The world's best have done it for two decades or a decade, and they just ate shit and did it. And that's not sexy, and that's not what you see on Instagram. That's not what you see outside of the training hall footage, and that's not what you see outside of the platform of the monolith. I don't think you can buy that. I think it's completely unpurchasable, and I think the notion that you can purchase your way into it is a person acting in bad faith. And what I mean by that is there's this idea you have in your head of what you want. If you want to be a 900-pound squatter, you want to, you know, or you, you want to just meet a PR, which is something very personal to you. I don't think you can buy your way into doing that because I think the cost is so intangible. Yeah. How like do you currency for that? How do you how do you value your last 10 years in the gym, dude? Like you can't do that. I could not put a price on it. And that's the thing that you can't teach and you can't buy is the the dirt and non-sexy days where you're there just fucking it hurts. You don't want to deadlift, you know, you you just just the shit's not in your your head's not in the right place, but you're there doing it. How do you teach somebody to do that for 10 years? I know it's great that a lot of people are focusing on fitness and nutrition. But they're not focusing on patience because you can't sell patience. You can't sell commitment. The number one thing that, that I think is, is important in this game is patience, patience, patience. How slow can you take it and get better every year? How slow can you take it, get better and better and better? How slow can you take it fix your deadlift I think there's a lot of people providing value for that the teaching part like you're, you're the best strength educator I know and I'm surrounded by some of the other ones that are the best in the world at what they do you know if you go you know follow Steffi on Instagram she's brilliant you know and the, her and Hayden have taught me everything 
I didn't know fucking shit about squatting or deadlifting. And you know, I met them three years ago, and here I am. So my point is you can't buy it. But you, no. Well, I mean, I think bringing it back to your world, and this is something that I think about, especially living in the Silicon Valley for as long as I did, mm-hmm. was like, you know, when you when you start a small business, and for all intents and purposes, what I've started in the Valley would be considered a startup. Yeah. Right? I've, I would consider you an entrepreneur. Yeah. Big time. Which, and it's funny, in, in as I, I think laterally from, I mean, both of us, I think, start from the same focal point of like everything... Like everything I've learned, I learned from the gym as far as like mm-hmm. that, that patience, right? And you talk about, you talk about the reps as, as a form of intangible currency, like the days where you don't want to fucking come in and you come in and you fucking do it anyways. That's like, because you know what? If someone who, who's not process driven, who's not patient, they just don't do it. They don't come in that day. So they can set a dollar price to it. They can set a dollar price very easily to their, to their experience over time because they haven't been patient. And I look at that like companies, like startups who are in it to sell. Yeah, I can see the businesses that are built to sell because oh, built built to be bought out. Built to be bought, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're they're building their company to sell. So someone walks in and it's like, you know what, man? Like, I don't know what my price tag would be if like an Under Armour or a Nike walked in the door and said, "Hey, we want to buy this," and you're out. Like, you don't teach this anymore. We own the rights. We own the mobility, stability, strength. We own your seminars. Mm-hmm. We own your, you know, thirty weekends you'll do next year. And it's like I don't know what. Like the manifestation of the hours it took, and the fucking like almost decade of school, and and just the days I did it where I didn't want to fucking do it. Mm. It's hard to put a price tag on that, and I think it's only the people who do that. It's only the people who do that in the gym who show up on the days where they don't want to, and it's only the businesses and the and the and the small business owners of the business owners who do the do what's necessary and not and understanding based off the final outcome what's necessary. Sometimes what's necessary is knowing when to fucking call it call it quits. There's no one when to be like, hey, it's not my day. Right? No one when it's like, hey, I'm not gonna send this fucking email. Like this one's yeah. gonna we're gonna sleep yeah. on this one. And I think there's this there's this culture built around dose dependency. If some is good, more is better. And it's like this grit and this grind and it's like a sophisticated, yeah. a cerebral approach is like I see that existing in at superlatives in both industries. Well I think a lot of a lot of business people today are younger. I think entrepreneurship's very sexy. You know, love him or hate him. Gary Vee makes a lot of great points on his Instagram. You know, he puts out a lot of content. And one of the interesting things that I see a lot of these kind of just, you know, fuck off business accounts talking about online who are not business people, but they're just Instagram accounts. And there's no face to it. And you don't know if they're successful and they're, they're, they're preaching the virtues of working long hours and little sleep and things like that. And it's like, goes back to the patience thing man like how patient can how patient can you be with your business eat shit for long enough to make it successful you know how many overnight successes it took three decades to get there of just toiling away a lot because in a world that we live in and how accessible everybody's lives are it's very sexy to show off a boat it's very sexy to show off flying first class it's very sexy to show off the vacations and the cars but the, we all know that's not the reality. But that's what that's that's how people are gaining perspective on why they want to become an entrepreneur. When you get down to the brass tacks of owning a business and thinking, "Holy fuck, business was slow the last two weeks. Can I make payroll this week?" Whoa, where's your patience for that? Where's your process for that? 
there's no sex appeal in that con the conversation you have to have with your partner you have to have you know with your vp how do you make that decision and i think there's a lot of learning that goes into that and understanding that the process that we've talked about is paramount yeah. because if you're not patient enough and invested enough to be 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 aware that that is the only thing that matters the survival of your business the only thing that matters the survival of your training is the only thing that matters you want to max out every week in the gym let's talk in a month you want to you want to push yourself to the limit and i i know people that do that they break whether that's at their office or whether that's in the gym or whether that's in their relationship the slow steady patient person that shuts up and listens and understands is the one that wins the race every time whether you're trying to deadlift 900 pounds or you're trying to grow a 10 million dollar business nobody does it overnight getting a little bit of perspective and patience and uh you know there was a point back in the day when i was very very invested in learning and understanding philosophy i had a bunch of friends that were like big into existential philosophy like i was and I, had, I was really lucky. I had an amazing, amazing time in college learning this stuff. And uh, there was a one of my older friends who was into this. He was like my best friend's friend. We were sitting, and he was suffering from uh, stage four lung cancer at that point. And, you know, chemo hadn't worked. You know, surgery wasn't going to solve anything at that point. And, uh, you know, he still had this smile on his face. And he was sitting in the garage, and I was telling him about these problems. I was having with a girl at the time, a relationship I was in. I was unhappy and stuff. And he said to me, sometimes all it takes is a moment of silence, a moment of peace and clarity, where you step back from your problems. And you don't think. You can't think your way out of some shit. But you can be still. Uh, he, that's what he called it. He called it a moment of stillness. And I, that one little phrase has stuck with me my whole life. Uh, I think this was probably 10 years ago. Maybe a little bit older than that. But the moment of stillness, facing your problems or dealing with uncomfortable situations or dealing with, you know, now I can apply to stuff in the gym. How do you utilize that inner peace? It's like, you know, almost like becoming a monk for a moment. Or just telling your brain to shut up and stop thinking. Because a lot of stuff will just come to you. I think that's a testament of character, right? And I think that's the one thing above all else that training instills is mm. is the is a positive attribute to building a character that's willing to maintain. Because I think in in getting to know you over the past couple of years and realizing that we've both kind of gone down similar rabbit holes in I don't want to say self-improvement, but it's like there's there's certain existential questions that you start asking yourself at a certain age. I feel like that age is getting like younger and younger. Like, dude, <laughs> yeah. I'm, 20, oh I'm 28 and I'm reading these books going like, you know, back in my day, like, it's like me and you are sitting on rocking chairs on a front porch somewhere. But it's like the ability to, like, you can't, like, you, you can't, the only thing in your control is controlling how you'd react to situations. Like whatever's right. going to happen is going to happen, and there's, and I don't even like to call it stoicism, but there's an there's an awareness yeah. that that comes in that moment of stillness that unless unless you realize that, like I, I know, we know, fuck, and we don't need to look far to find people who are who who don't have that moment of stillness. They who that are that are victims to their 
to like the lower angels of their nature where it's like an immediate reaction and there's something to right. be said about taking a breath and being able to like you honestly and i'm not gonna you know the story <laughs> but there was some of the best advice i ever got was received to me at a point in which the guy who was giving it to me didn't know that i was he might be didn't even know i was in the room but it was like you choose to be happy Right. right, and it was just like <laughs> if he—you'll never listen to this, and if he does and remembers it, it's probably the most profound thing in con, based off context. And when he said it, it was just—and it was true. Like as you go through points of hardships, whether that's in training, but I think yeah. obviously more importantly through life, it's like you right. actually just get—that is the one thing you have in your control. Because the older you get, the law of large numbers is going to dictate that shit's going to either happen to you or people you know at an increasing rate until the day you die. And the only, you know, your your strongest shield and your sharpest sword is going to be the fact that you can have control over how you react to situations. And mm -hmm. I think that is such a skill to harness. And uh, you, you kind of shone light on it earlier, like the ability to be introspective, but also to have like a global view of maybe how, or, a, or like a broad view of how you're perceived in the world and how you, know, you use the word dissonance earlier and to making sure that there isn't a dissonance or there's a narrowing in wavelengths between who's in your deepest subconscious at a moment of stillness and introspection, but how that perception is being viewed by the outside world. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a, that's a rabbit hole in and of itself, right? Because, you know, I'm a pretty firm believer that people's opinions of you are no business of yours i don't have the right to know nor do i care but if you step back from that what do you do to maintain a, a you know a, a certain image in business what do you do to maintain a certain professionalism in your personal and, and social life and what do you do in a, in, to ensure that you're sitting shutting up not reacting not being a you know you're not a single-celled organism. Single-celled organism or a small multicellular organism reacts to things. A cheetah reacts to a running gazelle because they know it's going to be its dinner. Maybe they're a little bit smarter than I'm letting this example on to be, but the point is we're human, right? We have this kind of obligation to understanding social and societal context that we live in and understanding how we want to navigate that world. We want to understand how to navigate that world the best way possible. And if you're trying to be a business person or you're trying to succeed in the gym or you're trying to succeed in your relationship, you have the ultimate control over the things you say and do and the way you act. If you act like a fucking piece of shit all the time to people, there's a good chance your reputation is going to be that you're a piece of shit. If you act professionally and calmly or you act in a way that's becoming of who you want the world to see you as and you be you're mindful of that in all aspects of your life if you're mindful of that in your your image on Instagram if you're mindful of that in your relationship but only because you truly want it to be so otherwise you're just putting up a fake image a lot of people that wear the veil and wear the mask 24/7 you don't know how who they are really but uh there's <laughs> a certain level of fun that I've found in like this embracing the Larry David mentality of life, <laughs> which is that you can, John, if you're listening to this, be the socialist Ashton, right? But <laughs> not not in every context. You got to be very selective about that. But the 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 part that I I'm trying to drive home is that. In the, in the social assassin episode in Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David was kind of sent in to 
botch this social situation, and, and I don't remember exactly what was going on, but it was just because he was just speaking his mind as honestly as he could, right? And it just came out in this this insane scene. If you backtrack to where we're going on our discussion here, I think it more applies to how do you want to be seen in the world and how do you want to interact with people, because I think that's going to leave a more lasting image than anything you post or any caption you write or anything outside of the image you're constructing because you know hell you want to go back to the beginning of a podcast here it's about the human interpersonal relationships you know do you listen to people do you look people in the eyes do you try to understand are you actually their friend are you on the same wavelength as them and there's so much going on that I don't even know where we're going with this. Well, I think you make a point, like, because you use the word, in, there's inter and intrapersonal relationships, and there's a difference. And I think in with what you're, with the Larry David thing, like, both of us being, you know, we're big Seinfeld guys. Big, huge, 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 huge Seinfeld guys. But I think, like, interpersonal relationships is a relationship between you and someone else. Right. Now, if you're trying to go forth in the world and, and be genuine to yourself in these interpersonal relationships between you and other people, you need to first establish an intrapersonal relationship. Like you need to have those what do you moments. Mean by that? Intro would be within yourself, mm, right? right? Like okay. people take an intro workout, so it's the difference between within the workout. Yeah, within the workout. So I think a lot of people, I don't think people are a willing to to look in that place or do what it's necessary to look in that place. Like sometimes it takes someone else to help you look where you want to look because there's there's doors that you don't want to open. There's yeah, closets absolutely. in your subconscious you don't want to look. There's stones you don't want to flip over in there because you know exactly what you're going to find. Yeah. And it's like if you want to project out into the world into your interpersonal relationships, regardless of the outcome, as long as you're just true to that, you need to know what, you need, what you're trying to be true to, right? Because I think anything that's short of what's actually under those rocks and behind those doors, you're projecting, you're building off pa- false pretenses. So the outcomes of that are never going to be fulfilling if they're not genuine to the real like root in your subconscious right. and this is really deep for a fitness podcast <laughs> but dude like that's all and that's like the one but thing this that- is so important this shit is so important and you know it's very flashy to talk about training techniques and it's very flashy to talk about rep schemes and recovery methodologies but like digging deep into the fucking core of who you are as a person I think that's more powerful than any PR. Dude, I don't think we've ever... I don't know when in the last... At least in the last year, especially. Yeah. When we've talked to me... Like, me and you off whatever the fuck this... When we've actually talked about trading. Well, I mean, what's... I get it. It's interesting. It's fun. People love seeing dudes lived heavy weights, right? When it comes down to it, it's... It's it's this own little thing that does not... Your life does not need to revolve around it. Yeah. Because, you know, it just... I don't. Just, I'm not a believer in that. Yeah. Like, it doesn't. And I think this other stuff is way more important because if you can get the foundation of your life set in a way that is is honest, then things are just going to follow suit. I I don't know if I touched on this earlier, but of probably the last big huge portion of my life, I've on and off seen psychologists, right? help me through things, talk about business, talk about my relationships, talk about what's going on in my head. And you're talking about opening up doors you don't want to walk into. You're there paying somebody to open those doors for you. And the best advice I've 
ever received. And this guy's like an ex-bodybuilder. He's the shrink that I still see. The guy's awesome. But he's a huge proponent of just that honest communication with somebody. And how do you communicate that? Well, you don't communicate it like an asshole. But you just get real with them. You care about them. You care about the outcome of the conversation. And this, you probably apply this to coaching and you know educating people as well. It's like, how do you communicate that stress, that fear, that anger that's inside of you that's causing you to be angry and upset to somebody in a way that is effective and caring and loving? Or if they're your friend or, they're, or your coach or something. How do you get honest about that? And I think it's extremely difficult to just say the words that are honest in your head. Hey, you know, I'm really sorry. This is this is really making me upset. I really don't want to like talk about this, but I want to tell you that I'm not happy about it. Something as simple as that goes a long way. And I think that that can be applied to any portion of your life. You know, and I and I'm not the guy that's going to teach people how to do that. I just know that applying those principles to my own life, my own business, my own relationships have helped a lot. I think it's the conversations that are hardest to have mm-hmm. that are the best. It's like if the very fact you, if it's something you don't want to do, then it's something you should do, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like there's a reason you don't want to do it and likely because it's difficult. Like mm-hmm. I think so many people are protected by white lies when they look to benefit from just like black truths, right? There's mm-hmm. a really good book um, by an author called, uh, his name's Gavin DeBecker, okay. called The Gift of Fear. Mm-hmm. And it talks about just that, like how we let we let the opinions of others dictate our our reaction, our knee jerk, our, our blink, our snap judgments, right? And we filter process through uh, not wanting to project what's actually inside us, right? And he uses cases where it's like, you know, a, a girl left a movie theater and there was a guy that, there was like an African-American guy who like looked, he wore a shirt that said, you're next, and they like followed him in line and asked him a weird question. And when at the end of the, at the movie, she, mm. her friends were like, oh, do you want us to like drive you by your car? Because they saw the guy. And her political correctness that's been indoctrinated into her through like, you know, societal norms, like, oh, don't be afraid of that guy. He's like, no, 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 you totally, has nothing, you'd be afraid of him. Because guess what? When she walked to her car, the story ends with three of her car keys being wedged in these guys' eyeballs. Because that was like her immediate instinct let her, her, she ignored her immediate instinct, then her fucking primal instinct at the end of the day reared its head again and ended up gouging this guy's eyes out with her, ca- her car key. Real story? Real story. It's a oh fucking amazing God. book. He, oh. he tells another great story about, um, um, about the second package the Unabomber sent, mm. about trusting your instinct of dark sense of humor. So he sent a package to like the, um, it was like some weird division of uh, like natural resources or something in California. And it, it was, an, it was uh, addressed to the director of the program who had made some legislative, whatever. I don't know what the political agenda was. Off. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just a it, kind of an inconspicuous box. It was, in, it, it was labeled for a guy who didn't even work there anymore. And I go, oh, what do we do? And then one guy said, I'm walking away before that fucking thing explodes jokingly but he walked away and he was the only one that survived no shit yeah it's a fucking amazing book man but it's like there's there's evolution in that like you talked about the brain like this is the same brain that knows prey from predator and it's like it's something to be said and and that's that's an honesty that's a truth like that's a truth more than you even know it to be and i think we're so wired in protecting people's feelings and and, and maybe even our own like trying to protect ourselves from these situations 
but that's such an asset long term that is that's I mean, the, the the modern evolution, the derivation of human being is 150,000 years old. Go look further than that, you're looking back almost 3.2 billion years to Australopithecus. That's a long time. So you don't even know what you know. And trusting that ability, regardless of social pressure, regardless of the, the discomfort, because you and I know more than anyone, that's where growth happens. That's where strength occurs. Like, And that's the parallels you can make is like, you know, when you're fucking, you're prepping for a meet and it's heavy. Well, it's like, guess what, man? Like when you're, when you're in the middle of a fight with your, your, your wife or your girlfriend, it's fucking heavy, man. And you know where you got to go to get stronger. It, the instinct is to continue to press and, and to continue to, I, I, you know, I've seen it in my, my own life. And, you know, before I kind of had this awareness that I tried to, my fucking very best to employ now in these situations is is to not be reactive and to not fall victim to that underlying operating system that the human body is just hardwired to follow because, you know, that's the default. Yeah. The default in a social situation is to protect yourself from something uncomfortable. The social situation, you know, like you look back on where humans came from and our evolution is that we are a people that are based on tribes based on you know, the tribe mentality and living amongst a small tribe of people. You don't want to alienate yourself from the tribe. You don't want to do something that's going to cause your outcasting from that tribe, right? And the same thing goes now. I don't think the brain functions much differently because I can see it in the way that I interact. I can see it in the way my friends interact. I can see it in the way that the broader group that I am aware, like friends with uh, throughout my whole life interacts. I mean, nobody in particular. It's just, that is, that is, that is being a human, but learning its place and learning to not rely on that basic operating system. So I got to tell my favorite Marcus story. And this was oh it. God. This was like, this was it. This is what I know. Like this guy, there's, there's some, there's the intangible, <laughs> like, I so I don't know which one. No, it's, up. it's this. Oh, the story. Oh. Is, so Marcus was at a place doing things with people, and then yeah, was there was a there. certain there was a social obligation to stay and interact, and just out loud, what was the exact words? Kind of made a hand gesture uh. like this, whatever this is. <laughs> like was in like where you're in uh, someone's apartment. All right, so everybody knows you're hanging out with people. You're at a dinner. You're at a friend's house. <laughs> and nobody knows when to say, I'm leaving, I'm done, I want to go home, because everybody wants to go home. Every time yeah. you go out, this is a great Seinfeld moment, Hayden, if you're listening. You know, every time you want to go out, you know, the only place you want to be is back home. So there was just, there was a moment <laughs> that I had one night amongst the friends, amongst the group of people that I, I felt very comfortable doing this, but, you know, it was probably a few hours went by, too many hours went by, it's getting late. Nobody wants to be the guy that says, we're done here, we're wrapping this up, right? And I didn't do this intentionally, so this is not like a, a thing I was planning on introducing to the world, but I just sat up and I like kind of fucking did this shit with my hands and I was like pointing at everybody. I was like, guys, this thing that we're doing here, we're done. I'm going home. And just like that, I introduced the whole mechanism of, of leaving 
an uncomfortable situation to, to the world, and now it's now it's kind of taken on a life of its own. I, I want to see people videotape situations where they're like at a dinner, pull out their phone on Instagram story, and like just be like, hey, this thing, we're done here. Like, I want this to catch up because it, here's it's caught on. It's caught on fabulously in a way that I did not think it would, and now I I promote that level of 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 I don't give a fuckedness to my friends. It's it's such a value because I think we you talked earlier about like you know the tribe mentality like because there was a point if you get you know exiled from the tribe that's death but it's not even just in humans man like why are zebras striped they live in golden grass someone try and tell me that's camouflage tell me why these fucking this these hornless white and black unicorns <laughs> live in the fucking Serengeti what is it it's it's, it's they're camouflaged against themselves and it's like Think about it. They're camouflaged against themselves. In a pack of zebras, you try and tell me one zebra is different than the next, right? And you see it in social settings. Like, you know, I'm, I'm around a lot of people with a lot of influence and a lot of gyms in an industry where they hold celebrity status. Here and all everywhere I seem to go, my friends are very influential people in a space, right? Mm -hmm. And what makes them different is that they don't have that. Everyone that... that that flocks to them. Like we go to Expo, we're at the Arnold, right? At the oh, cage, yeah. you see the lineups and it's like, there's, there's zebras in a sense. And not against them. Like I'm sure they all have like lives where they're superlative in, in a certain aspect or field and people, you know, aspire to be like them in certain ways. But the, the point being is, it's not obvious. Like when a cheetah looks at zebras, they're, they're just looking at the collective. And it's when I look at a lot of these people who are, you know, who are posting for the gram and lifting not for the reasons that we lift and not from a sustainable place and maybe not even uh, from a self-awareness to even know that they're doing that. I see a bunch of zebras. You know what happens when, you, when, you're, a, when you're a researcher and you tag one of those zebras with red paint so you know what zebra it is? He doesn't have immunity against the herd anymore. Mm. That zebra is going to get fucking taken down. Because if I'm a first cheetah. First up on the cheetah's menu for that night. Boom. That's the one, right? And that's where I find myself, people I find myself gravitating to are people who are, are comfortable enough in stepping away from the herd. They're comfortable enough in, in, in adopting strategies and habits and, and doing what's necessary. But why do you think that is? Why do you think that, that you're, not only are you attracted to them, but why do you think that... There is a subsection of people that is, I would say that they are compelled because I don't think it's a cognitive choice. I don't think it's a choice that you wake up one day and you're like, I'm going to be different. No, you're a douchebag if you do that. Yeah. That's not genuine and that's not honest. How do you I see that? I think it's passion driven, 100%. So it's not a choice. It's not a choice. It's no way. I, You know what? I'm just so, like in my particular case, I'm just so lucky that the thing that consumes and pollutes my days and nights is the thing that I do for a living. Oh, yeah. Like, man, you know what, man? That's, that's forced me to make some really bad decisions. That's forced me to take the fucking red paint to the black and white stripes and just cover myself and make myself very susceptible to bad situations. There's not a person I know that's, that does what, that is made a passion out of their business or been able to monetize their passion. Mm -hmm. So that they do something from such a place of just genuine curiosity and, and betterment and improvement and they just want to for whatever intangible reason they just want to get better at this particular thing mm -hmm. that hasn't slept in their fucking car or hasn't because that's what it takes because you can tell you what you, you can live a comfortable life 
you can live a happy life, but it's not necessarily going to be fulfilled. And I think all, fulfillment only comes from pursuing a passion, right? Uh, so I, think, I love that point. I love that you said that there's a difference between fulfillment and happiness. Well, because the zebras in the herd part. are happy. But if tell you what, if that fucking, that guy, you know, you get flagged red or you purposely flag yourself red and you can outrun the fucking cheetah, that's, that's, that's big. But you, the only way you're going to know is if you fucking put a bullseye on your back and you step out. And that, that, takes, that takes a certain amount of, and not even courage, man, because like I don't do it from a martyr's perspective. I know there was no question. Like it wasn't a sacrifice. No, I think it is. I think the courage is a big component of yeah. it because, you know, for my example, like multiple times I worked for people in my family and I didn't like the way things were being done. I didn't like the personality conflicts. I didn't like being demeaned or talked down to. And I made the decision to leave those situations. And I learned everything that I know from those situations, but ultimately I knew that I outgrew it. But when you leave, and you leave a situation like I did, or if you're leaving a situation probably like you have in the past, you paint yourself red immediately, and you're open to every bit of criticism on the planet, because if you make a decision that is not in compliance with the herd, or it's not in compliance with your tribe, the first reaction is what? You're going to be outcast. Yeah. Whether you know no it or not. Back. No, you, but you have to be... It's not like it's not like you just wake up. You're like, I'm gonna be strong about this. It's like, no, you gotta have the fucking grit to get punched in the stomach 150 times a day, for as long as it takes, for you to be autonomous. So if you're that zebra and you're running away from the cheetah, you better hope to God that you have what it takes to keep running and you're strong enough. It's the same thing in fitness and it's the same thing in the business world that like I've experienced and you've experienced because it is not something you can learn it's not something you can buy it's something that you have to employ every day it's like a tactic a modality of life that you are employing on a day-to-day -day basis where you keep your head down and you continue to focus on what's important and you block out the things that are while they probably will affect you i know they affected me big time but i think it only encouraged me more to do what i was doing because i knew that i didn't have a choice you can call that passion or courage or, you know whatever whatever you want but you know i see it as you don't have a choice because if the choice exists there's a lot high likelihood that complacency and willingness to adapt to the tribal mentality is going to win because it's easy and comfortable and i think that's people's biggest mistake is that there's no half measures in this shit you got it and that's why i literally and i like this analogy of the z i'm, I'm copping this straight from an interview this is like a Rogan interview a few years ago. Oh, I, think was, yeah. I think it was Peterson. Oh, really? It was Peterson interview. <laughs> it was first one. He talked about this this uh, he, this idea of immunity against the herd or um, camouflage against the herd, rather. Mm -hmm. But I like the idea because in my own life and having to make this, dude, I walked away from a six-figure job. I was working on fucking Apple. Dan Green goes, hey, I got 170 square feet with your name on it. <laughs> like, yeah, sign me up. I oh. love cheap, fat power lifters, you crazy I, fuck. Like, I remember your office. That thing was uh, a gem. I'm sure it was. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it was an upgrade from the Apple campus. <laughs> Man, <laughs> like, but it was the one thing in my life that I owned. I'd, I'd oftentimes mm. push my table aside and sit on the floor, just in the middle of it, look around. Like, yeah, I remember. I remember fucking painting these walls. I remember what this used to look like. I remember laying down on the fucking floor on my hands and knees the day after I graduated. I graduated December 11th. December 12th, I was on my fucking hands and knees laying down hardwood floor yeah. and laying baseboards and fucking painting and knocking the fucking cobwebs out of the corner and redoing the molding of the fucking... Like, it's like it was mine. But I tell you what, it was because I was like, I'm done at Apple. 
I'm done it up. Well, yeah, no, I'd love to make fucking six figures in the Silicon Valley as a 25-year-old kid straight out of grad school. But like that's that's happy. That's not fulfilling. I remember my parents moved me into my residence in Toronto, and I, it was my first time living away from home. Mm. And they're like, "Oh, like we'll go get your groceries." I'm like, "Why? I'm gonna have to get them myself next week." And they're like, "No, like we'll get you all the things." I was like, "So I remember walking with a case of Gatorade over my shoulder, and with like a fucking duffel bag full of you know meat and fucking potatoes." When my parents were there, and they're like, "Oh, we'll drive you to get groceries." I was like, why? It's all in, man. And yeah, I think that I think learn at some point. And it's survival instinct. Right? There's no fucking half measures, man. And I think the people who are willing like to just go to the edge and not jump, it's like that's where you're gonna you don't know if you can fucking fly, dude. Well, you just you have to jump. And I think anybody embarking on the journey of becoming a, a somebody that's involved in the fitness world, if you're becoming a power lifter or a weightlifter, you don't know until you pick up a barbell. Yeah. You don't know if you suck or you're good until you pick up a barbell, and you probably won't know for another five years. Taking things too fast in the setting of, of, of fitness or taking too that things too fast in the setting of the business world, you won't know. Yeah. You have no idea until time goes by and you've taken an immense risk. I mean, just talk about starting your own business. You're fully reliant on yourself to pay your own bills. Ah, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. I, dude, I, I, like, when you say it like that so abruptly, of like, my boss is an idiot. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I'm, I'm the boss. I think that all the time. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? This guy's a schmuck. What is he doing? Called uh, a meeting at 7 a.m.? I fucking hate this guy. Yeah, yeah, I got a meeting with my vice president, Timothy, later. <laughs> <laughs> but the, that's, that's, that's that gritty honesty, that yeah. that. that the reality of of the world that you and I have embarked upon and a lot of people are embarking upon and I mean the non-cynical side of me thinks it's amazing and that's the prevailing side yeah. right like I'm I'm so happy to see it because I know how difficult it is and if that person has the fortitude and the strength to go through with it like I have and like you have and like all of my closest friends have like that's amazing yeah and it's it's empowering, and I hope that it changes their lives to the better. And I think a lot of people have the opportunity to do it if they can understand some of the tactics and, and, and mental, you know, I don't know, I don't know the right way to say this, but I guess the mindset of, of thinking in a patient way and living your life in a patient way that you can figure out how to succeed in your discipline, whatever it is. Yeah, I think a lot of people, like, obviously with this podcast, reaching more, you know, fitness minded people mm. it's like yeah some of my, like i remember my first 700 plus squat in competition was a 330 i was mm. terrified oh but man, i learned sure. more in that fucking uh, what seemed like an hour and a half what was actually more like seven seconds yeah than i did in dude, almost a decade of school because it's like i was scared out of my mind but what kept me centered was like i knew i did the work i knew i did all the shit that you know, I, this was my overnight success that took 10 years. Yeah. And it's like, that's what gives you confidence. Cause it's like, man, there's times where that bar is on the rack and it's like, you gotta be still. Cause I see the people who are emotionally driven. I see the people who are, fuck you, dad. It's like, at yeah, a, at going a certain, out angry and stuff. And at, dude, as you get to higher and higher levels, you see the stillness. Like, you, and in the back, it's like they're charged up, they're ready to go, but there's a moment. There's that moment when they unrack the bar where it's like they're not thinking. Because you can't. You can't. Oh, my God. For last last year, like first time I ever took a 750-pound squat, yeah. I was like, oh, my. Like, I picked it up off the rack, and I'm like, you know, you're just sitting there, and you're like, all right, I guess I better try to do this, or it's just going <laughs> to bury my ass right here. 
and you do it and you come out the other side and you gain this perspective but like the way i lift is is the same kind of mindset that i employ in other things like every time i approach a deadlift and you know my top working sets of deadlifts nowadays are like they intimidate the shit out of me like it's it's heavy it's like i I don't know if i'm gonna get hurt doing this or if i'm properly warmed up or prepared or whatever but it's like the same thing that i talked about earlier the patience i walk up to every single deadlift bar every single time and just like kind of sit there and shut my eyes and like just breathe for a few seconds and just like like kind of try and calm down and let the aggression like kind of like disperse or or just kind of like go its own way so i can focus on what i have to do it's the same thing when you have to write a difficult email you know you gotta have these uncomfortable conversations in business the art of practicing that that mindset that mindset of patience and strength at the same time it's like the warrior monk yeah and you have to become that person to be powerful, strong, capable in the gym and in business in your personal life. And I feel like I'm a huge proponent of how you do one thing is how you do everything. I think a lot of people don't necessarily see the links in this. Like every time you come across a stressful situation, regardless of what it is, it's it's a like it's, I really look at it as an opportunity to hone a skill. It's like you become like not only like okay I have to deal with this is this is I get to deal with this this is something we yeah. talked about like this is another opportunity and it sounds b- bullshit and trust me man if there's anyone who is more resistant to this mindset of thinking like <laughs> three four years ago it was me like yeah. I, I, like I'm not one for self help like I'd much rather read just like I'm not one for necessarily like business I'd rather read biomechanics because my business is in biomechanics but what uh-huh. I started to realize when it came to like like all these like self-help books and all that stuff was like I'm, I'm not in the business of biomechanics I'm in the business of people then I started You're going down philosophy yeah so then it was like philosophy and, and psychology to better understand people and in that pursuit you better understand yourself but then realizing that if the adaptations only come under stress it's like and stress is we only know one response to it like the same guy who fucking you know tries to like he hits the nose torque and the fucking ammonia and his girl slaps him in the face is like that might be the same guy who doesn't take a minute to draft that tough email, or you know, or have somebody review his work, or have somebody review a real estate contract, or go to their person that they trust and say, "Am I doing this right? Yeah. Is this like give me some feedback?" And like I look for that in a lot of different ways in my life. Like you ask the people that you trust and care about, and hopefully you have those people that aren't secretly like criticizing you behind your back, or. Hopefully you have the people in your life and in your corner that are actually there, like looking out for you. I'm pretty fortunate that I have that in both business and the training world. You know, all the people that I train with at this gym are amazing, and they've been giving me feedback and helping me grow for three years now. Yeah. The same with the business world. I've built up a network of people that I trust and care about so much that I can go to them with any issue and just be like, "Hey, what do you think? Like, I'm gonna bounce this idea off you." I think it's really important for people to have that in all aspects of their life. Yeah, I think because there's, there's a demeanor and there's there's qualities that are universal across people who are worthy in seeking that that advice from. And in order for you to, I mean, I aspire to be that one day, but then it's recognizing the habits in those people and knowing that those are the habits that you need to adopt. That's roughly the 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 sketch of the person you need to become to ascend to that level to be worthy of even seeking advice from because that's what i do it like you talked about you know how many flashy entrepreneur fucking seminars there are Mm -hmm. and it's like that to me is like when i look at people who put on seminars for education it's like 
I want to be an educator for the educators, right? Yeah, I look at like stand-up comedy. Like I look at Dane Cook and go, he's not a comedian's comedian, right? Like there's comedians I follow that some people never even heard of other than comedians, and they'll fucking make you laugh so hard, but they they don't they don't sell, they don't do anything. Where it's like some of your best, some of your mentors that you value their opinion the most are likely people no one's ever heard of, right? But it's your ability to recognize that skill set, right? Because you're looking for you know, whether it's in real estate, you want to look, you're not looking for the guy on the, with the fucking bench ad, the, the bus bench ad or some shit oh, like that. I want, I want the guy that's developed a half billion dollars worth of property and grown a business. And like, that's the guy I want to know what it took for him to be successful. And I also want to know why he's not as successful as he could be. Yeah. And learn that. And I think that's such a valuable thing. Like, and it's not about getting answers. It's about helping you ask better questions. Yeah, and constantly gaining perspective in situations where you can sit back and ask, you know, is this good? Is this right? Is this wrong? Is this optimal? Is this not optimal? Am I doing it the same way as this person? Is there a way that I can emulate them in this situation that makes sense for the situation? And I, you know, things like that, where you're just kind of patient and, you know, to fucking harp on that word. It's just true. It's, it's just you have to be very, very mindful of what you're doing and why you're doing it and figuring out ways to be better at what you're doing because there's guarantee there's a guy like you out there that's going to try and eat your lunch yeah. in about a week. And you have to be better than him and you have to constantly be on your game because there is always going to be somebody trying to usurp what you've built, especially in business, right? And that's 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 a good mindset to kind of keep. Is that no, it's not necessarily fear, but it's just something to kind of roll around in the back of your head to kind of gain perspective on whether you need to be working hard or not every day. Yeah, I think that's a good point to close it off on, man. Right. I appreciate it. So they've got to do this whole thing where it's like at podcasts, you have to like do this thing where you have to basically give everything in your home address. Ah. So it's like Instagram at Marcus Leone and at Tim Ties. Tim dot ties. Tim Tim's dot ties. He's my. Uh, Executive Vice President of Business Development and my sweet, sweet little boy. Yes. He's actually, he's actually the prince of business development. <laughs> uh, the head of the cuteness department at the Leone Foundation. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah, dude. Appreciate you coming on. And yeah. this is like, I like this because this is, this is where I go. Like, this is, <laughs> this is like when I, Marcus is the person that I go to when it's like, okay, it's fourth and long here and I need a call. And yeah, he's he's my fucking he's my Belichick reading signs off the other <laughs> team like he's the my deflate gate like yeah hey, here's what we do this is what you're gonna fucking not freak out you're gonna come out like stop crying for ten minutes we're gonna talk through this so I think it's cool that people get like people listen to me and to fucking ramble on for fucking eons on end it seems like I don't know what conversations I have now that aren't on the internet the only ones I'm certain that aren't are the ones I have with you so I think giving some oh, thank God well yeah giving some perspective those, those are too dark of, yeah but you know it's, it's cool and I, I like I definitely challenge people if you don't have someone like a Mr. Leone in your life then fucking find find yourself a big shoulder to fucking steer the ship um, because it's I mean in the past I would say the year for sure we've stayed in more or less constant contact I've been in and out of Miami yeah. and like having it's someone nice who will just give you like the straight dope and like tell you when you're being an idiot and you know and I think there's there's a benefit in that so I'm glad I was able to fucking yeah man Thank sh- you so much. share this my Marcus Leone with the my world first podcast believe really oh ever. man dude Jesus all right I think you should just start like a like a, the, the daily cynic Oh the Daily God. Cynic the with Daily Marcus Leone. That'd be amazing. Just you and Tim sitting there with a cup of Joe in the morning. And you'd be like, and another thing. Oh, my God. So. I'll just turn into my fucking 
my, my old grumpy Jewish grandparents. One day we'll be so lucky. I'd be the embodiment of Larry David in the 21st century as a 27-year-old. I can't wait to know him. All right, man. I appreciate your time. <laughs> All right.